Okay, hello everybody. I'm Donatas Urbanas. This is your bonus podcast, and I'm joined by my colleague Horatio Kauki. Horatio, what's up? I'm good, Donatas. Thank you. Uh, it's good to be back, and uh, I believe that for today we have some very interesting stuff to to talk about it. Yeah, you're right. But first of all, uh, thanks a lot for your feedback after our first pod with Horatio. Especially thanks to partisan fans who came out with a good point, you know, of uh, which we didn't mention in our podcast about private sponsors and what else is going on, you know, behind the uh, Obradovich project, partisan project. And it's not only the politics, uh, not only the president is behind it, that's for sure. But we talked about it, about the politics so much that, you know, maybe that's what some people may have take out from from our first pod. Uh, but anyway, what do we have this week, Horatio? Uh, I think that, you know, for this week, one of the main topics is going to be, of course, the situation of Coach uh, Kokoshkov in, uh, in Fenerbahce, because, of course, there have been a lot of reports coming from the United States that the Dallas Mavericks are really interesting in hiring him. So for Fenerbahce is a, is a tricky situation, you know, because they basically finished to, to build the roster, but now they, they might need to replace the coach. So it's not an ideal uh, situation when you're building uh, the roster for uh, for the next season. Yeah, and then we're going to talk about Alexis Schwed and his uh, contract, which might might surprise some people, especially who know either Alexei or uh, CSKA front office uh, better or have some relationship. And again, we're going to talk more in depth about uh, Milano Armani, about their summer, uh, about the biggest moves they made and uh, what we should know, what was behind them. So let's begin with uh, Igor Kokoshkov. Uh, The Dallas Mavericks, according to Mark Stein, the Dallas Mavericks are nearing agreement, actually, to secure Igor Kokoshkov, which is their top target as an assistant to the new head coach, Jason Kidd. Uh, Kokoshkov signed a three-year deal uh, last year. It was guaranteed contract. And, you know, I wonder how the buyout thing will be solved. But maybe, Horacio, you know something uh, more from your uh, insiders, because from your sources, because as far as I know, you followed this story really closely. Uh, yeah, uh, the, I think that, uh, again, as, as I said before, the, the main issue was that this roster, you know, was built with... Uh, uh, having Igor Kokoshkov in, on mind as, as the head coach. So even the players, you know, were picked, uh, because of his characteristics, uh, as a coach and for the system that he wanted to put in. And now, of course, there is the risk that you're going to need to replace him because, uh, there is this offer coming from the NBA. And, uh, again, as the, as the reports from United States are saying, uh, a deal should be pretty close between Coach Kokoshkov and uh, and the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, the uh, the the main thing I believe is that uh, Fairbacha will probably receive a buyout out out of this situation. Uh, but again, I believe that uh, several players are a bit surprised by this whole situation because they uh, they accepted you know the offer from Fenerbahce. Uh, with the idea that Kokoshkov was going to be the coach, and now they will probably need to work with a different coach. And of course, this is not uh, an ideal situation. Uh, I think that even, you know, for Fenerbahce management, 
it's a very delicate situation, you know, to try to find another coach at this point of the season. Also, because maybe, you know, with a different coach in place, uh, there might be some new requests, you know, for the market. It might request some new additions or maybe for some players to, to leave. So that's probably an additional work that the team didn't want in, in the first place. But that's the situation they are in right now. It's again, it's not ideal, but it, it is what it is. Uh, I believe that, uh, for, for the candidates, you know, to replace coach Kokoshkov, there already been some, um, some reports about, uh, coach, um, coach Georgievich, Sasha Georgievich, uh, is now, of course, uh, a free agent after the end of his experience with Virtus Bologna. Uh, I think it's, it's a name that they are considering, at least, uh, based on, you know, the conversation that I had with some sources. Um, but, uh, I think that there's, they're still gonna take, you know, some time to, uh, maybe fully focus on, a, on a single candidate. They are gonna explore other options too. And, uh, but again, it's, not exactly the best situation that you could have imagined, you know, arriving at this point of the off season. Yeah, from one point, I agree with you. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, some players might be surprised, might be a bit concerned. For example, I see Pereira Henry uh, a bit concerned because, for example, if he was moving away from Basconia and, you know, he worked with uh, Dusko, maybe he was expected uh, he was expecting a bit different uh, coaching uh, which you know uh, coach kokoshkov can provide so for example if he gets another uh, let's say strict uh, old school uh, yearly coach uh, he shouldn't be very happy but at the same time i also think that uh, whenever whatever which whenever uh, who who going to be the the next head coach he should be happy having this fenerbahce squad because uh, you can agree that uh, the the thing uh, the the signings they made, the roster they've built for the next season is really great. And probably it's easy to adjust. And of course, uh, all the coaches have their own requests, as you said. But usually Fenerbahce has money to do some changes during the season. So in the end of the day, uh, since they have such a good roster, that's not the worst case, you know, because especially this roster is pretty flexible. It's, uh, for example, Sharuna Sisekiewicz would have a very different team. And for our coach, you know, it might be challenging uh, to adjust uh, and to, you know, put his game style. This Fenerbahce's team, I think it's, it's very flexible for almost every coaching. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. Uh, again, probably is not the ideal situation, but you can find, you know, other coaches that can quickly adapt to this kind of roster, even without making major uh, addition. Also, because I think that definitely, you know, the management of the team wants to see this group together, you know, for a while before deciding to make any other additions or uh, departures, you know, from, from the roster. So yeah, uh, at the end of the day, they have built a pretty good roster so far. And, uh, whoever's going to be the, the new coach when, when Kokoshkov is expected to leave, uh, I think he will have in his hands a, a very good group to work with and, uh, and the potential, you know, to be one of the strongest 
teams in in Euroleague, and I and I think that's that's the kind of chance that several coaches you know don't want to miss. Yeah, the whole situation is uh, strange because it's not usual, uh, as you said, as you said, you know, to build a team and then to have a coaching change and. From what I'm hearing, there are kind of mixed opinions around the Fenerbahce camp about uh, all what's going on right now. Uh, there's one camp who might be pretty happy because some people maybe didn't believe that uh, Igor is a right coach for this Fenerbahce uh, team and they expected more from him. Uh, but at the same time, as we mentioned be- before, there are some concerns that uh, when coaching change happens b- by right, right now, I mean... Uh, very tough and challenging uh, uh, period of a time when the team is set for the next season. It you know it makes it makes some things uh, difficult uh, uh, to to handle. Uh, you know, but uh, what is also interesting, what I, I was hearing about uh, Igor Kokoshkov, uh, at, at least two sources told me uh, that Igor was monitoring uh, the NBA market for to to get to get to look for an assistant job. And if that true, if that's true, that means that not, well, he didn't enjoy European experience that much. We can remember failing to qualify for the Olympic Games with Serbia national team. We can remember how much uh, stress he had, how much pressure he had with Fener when things didn't go well. And you know, and there's still much so much pressure for the next season, especially when they invested in building this roster. But also, what I'm hearing that there might be a family factor too for Igor's side. But uh, anyway, it's a, a bit strange uh, situation. Yeah, and it seems like that uh, Igor is not surprised about uh, Dallas Mavericks uh, offer, which came from the NBA. Yeah, I think that you know the 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 main issue is the fact that he got two very difficult jobs in Europe. You know, being the the Serbian national team head coach. And being the coach of Fenerbahce after the end of uh, uh, Zeliko Bradovic's tenure with the team, uh, those were two very difficult jobs to to handle. I think for uh, for any coach, you know, it was uh, it was a very difficult to to handle those two situations. And uh, you know, it, it's also a fact that Kokoshkov has been in the United States for so many years. You know, he has spent the majority of his career. In the United States, he started to coach even at the NCAA level when he was still very, very young, and he had so many years an assistant coach in the NBA. I think at the end of the day, he's more used to the USA environment than to the European one. Even if he had some good experiences, you know, in Europe with the Georgian national team, then with the Slovenian national team. But those two jobs, you know, with Fenerbahce and with the Serbian national team, uh, they were difficult jobs to handle. A lot of pressure, you know, a lot of expectations, uh, uh, two very difficult environments to deal with because, of course, uh, Istanbul Fenerbahce fans, you know, they always have very high expectation. Uh, and it's the same thing for the Serbian national team. You know, everyone expected to win the a pre-Olympic tournament pretty easily, but that of course didn't happen. So I, I believe that in a in an assistant coach job, even with uh, with a team like the Dallas Mavericks, that that's gonna have of course ambition, playoff ambitions. Maybe they are not ready to be title contenders yet, but the level of pressure it's a little bit different, you know, than 
compared to the European experience that uh, Kokoshkov is living, you know, right now with uh, with Fenerbahce and with uh, and with the Serbian national team. Yeah, and if you remember, uh, Kokoshkov's hiring uh, was really surprising when Jelko left. Yeah. Uh, they find a deal with Kokoshkov very quickly, and Fenerbahce, you know, made an out of the box decision, and nobody expected that. Uh, and I'm I'm thinking. Uh, what Fener gonna do right now if they had enough with all these experiments and they're gonna you know go back to some let's say traditional European coaching or still they're gonna you know look for some talent um, uh, from the NBA uh, env- environment uh, we talked you mentioned a bit about uh, uh, Sasha Djordjevic uh, what do you believe uh, uh, what other candidates might be for this job, and what what do you expect uh, from Fenerbahce front office? Uh, I, I I agree with you when when you say that they were probably gonna go with the coach uh, that is currently in Europe that maybe is it, it doesn't come from an NBA environment, considering of course what uh, the current situation. Um, aside from Coach Georgievich. Uh, I believe that one potential candidate might be Sasa Obradovic, uh, which is a name that I've been hearing, like connected to the club, uh, even if uh, I don't think there have been some concrete talks with him yet. Uh, the other options, I think it's gonna, it's gonna be maybe going with a younger coach that maybe doesn't have a, a lot of Euroleague experience yet. Uh, but of course that, that might require some convincing, you know, to the fans because having a coach that is, he doesn't have a lot of experience, especially at the Euroleague level, you know, I don't think it's going to make the fans of Fenerbahce really happy, to be honest. Yeah. I actually wouldn't exclude, exclude local, uh, coach. There were some names uh, the last uh, summer, uh, but when I think about the picture of the head coach, uh, which Fener is uh, looking at right now, and usually, you know, when when it takes uh, changes, when we do some changes, we try to look for something different. And Kokoshkov was very specific head coach. So if we talk about Fenerbahce changes and what kind of head coach they might be looking for, I expect some, let's say, more strict version of the head coach i expect let's say the head coach who would make his players more accountable and uh, i i just think that they're gonna uh, look for some balance between let's say jelko uh, profile head coach and kokoshko because uh there is a, f- a feeling that kokoshko was a bit too soft with the players so i think that fener will advance uh, from this yeah, you're probably right. I think that was one of the one of the things that uh, set some people, you know, in Fenerbahce weren't happy about it. The fact that maybe it was a little bit too soft in in some situation as an approach, you know, to the players, and uh, the fact that he might he might have missed that kind of you know, force and strength that you need in some situation to get something out of the players, you know, especially in in difficult moments. Uh, Again, there were people, you know, close to Fenerbahce that that they were absolutely unhappy with the performance of the team in the finals, uh, in the Turkish finals against FS. 
Uh, it was basically a no contest. FS completely dominated that series. And, you know, again, several people close and around Fenerbahce, you know, they weren't happy with the overall performance and with Kokoshkov coaching because they expected more. Uh, I don't know how much fault uh, Kokoshkov has because, to be honest, FS in this season, it was just a better team than Fenerbahce. So there's not really much that you can do at some point when when the difference is uh, is that big. But at the same time, you know, during the season, there were moments in, in which Fenerbahce played really, really well. Even in, in EuroLeague, they, they had a very good momentum. Uh, they reached the playoffs. And maybe, you know, if it wasn't for COVID, they had several COVID cases right before the start of the play of the playoffs in EuroLeague. Maybe they could have been more of a challenge for Seska Moscow. But, you know, of course, without all those players, the series against Seska was, you know, was really easy for the Russian team because Fenerbahce missed a lot of players during that time. Yeah, it's it's not an easy coach and it's not an easy position, uh, you know, to uh, to work in. And let's continue with Alexis Shved, uh, right? Uh, at least for now, by the time we're making a pod, there are still no, we don't have an official announcement of CSK Moscow, although it is expected to be in the beginning of this uh, week. Uh, and, and then it's going to be clear uh, what's the term of the contract. But from what I'm hearing, it might be something from two to three uh, years. Uh, and uh, there, you know, Alexis Shved is coming back to, to CSKA Moscow. And I have to start uh, this story, you know, with some funny thing, because from what I've been told, uh, there was a moment in their life when Andrei Vatutin said he will never sign Shved again. And Shved said that he will never play for CSK again. So it's a very intriguing reunion. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not surprising because uh, I believe that when the the first time they got separated, you know, uh, Shved and Seska, I don't think that the separation was really in uh, friendly terms. So th there were definitely some bad feelings uh, between the, the management of the team and, and the player. Uh, but, uh, of course, now, you know, many years have passed. The, the situation is, is completely different. And uh, I, I believe also that Shved was in a very unique situation, you know, because he was still under contract with Kinky for another two years. Uh, but Kinky basically didn't have enough resources to, to keep having him because, of course, they had uh, several financial troubles during the past season. They, they, they're not going to be in the VTB league, uh, next season because of these financial issues. So Jved had to go at some point because he was also the, the most paid players on, on the team. And, uh, for Seska, I think he was, uh, a very logical move in some ways because they needed to replace, uh, the firepower of Mike James was not going to be again part of the team of course with the because with coach Itudis, the relationship was completely broken so it was impossible to uh, let him go back to to Seska so why not going after a player like Shved who is you know despite the fact that he might not be a young kid anymore is still one of the best scorers at the Euroleague level 
He's a player who knows the environment really well in Moscow because he has played there for several years. And plus, from what I understood, there's going to be uh, this very unique situation in which Kimki will still pay the player at least the difference between the contract that he's going to get with Seska and the contract that he was getting with Kimki. So for Seska, I believe, especially in the first two seasons of the deal, it's not going to be like a super rich deal. You know, they're not going to spend crazy money because some of those money will come from Kimki. So it's going to be a more affordable situation. So in the end, I believe uh, it was uh, like a very logical move for uh, for Seska. Yeah, although there are some risks and we talked about all these risks with my colleague Ritis Vishnauskas in the previous podcast. You, all, you can also uh, watch it on YouTube, Basket News uh, channel. Uh, but as risky it may sound, as it may sound, uh, I, would, I would exclude two things. First of all, Shwed is the best Russian player at the moment. And that's for sure. And, you know, CSK is signing the best local player. Uh, where local players are important due to the VTB rules. And besides the basketball part, uh, it might help to sell some uh, tickets because Shved, if Shved, Shved was actually bigger in, in Kimki, uh, he was big, bigger than the club in TSK, it would be different. But still, we're talking about the superstar of Russian basketball. So that's a good move from marketing side. And as you all have mentioned about uh, money, from what I've heard, that's, let's say, a team-friendly deal. It should be something between 1 million and 1.5. But by CSK standards, by Schwed standards, uh, that's a financially good signing. So if all these risks, when we talk, when we have um, it to this uh, CSK game, um, let's say CSK culture, uh, CSK game style, with all these uh, risks, it's also there are some good reasons why it's a good move. So it's going to be very interesting to watch, you know, how this reunion will develop in the future. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, I believe that it's going to be really interesting to watch Jved trying to adapt again to uh, to a situation in 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 which is not going to be like the only superstar because. And Kimki, as you said, he was clear that he was bigger than the team. You know, he was the clear superstar. He was the number one guy. In Seska, is going to be a little bit different, you know, because you already have there several very important players uh, with uh, Shengelia, Milutinov, uh, you know, very good players. Uh, so he, he needs, he, he will need to share some of the responsibilities and that's probably my biggest concern about the deal. Like, uh, I want to see him in this environment, how he's going to deal with that, because it's going to be a different situation. Plus, you know, Coach Itudis uh, is a very strict coach. You know, he can be very hard on the players. So if he doesn't play the way that Itudis wants him to play, that there's going to be some you know, some issues. And we saw that happening before, of course, with Mike James, for example. Uh, so that's that's the thing that I want to, like, understand the, the most, you know, the, that I want to see the most, how he's going to adapt to this new situation in which he's not going to be, like, the only superstar of the team. 
Yeah, and CSK is on the market for one more player, uh, despite having Schwed, uh, Hackett, Lundberg, Grigonis, also Ukov and Homenko on their backcourt. They're looking for one more uh, guard. And Kostas Melias from Gazeta reported it a while ago that uh, they have a, an agreement in place with Kevin Pangos. But uh, a lot of depends on uh, if he if he's going to have NBA deal because he's checking the NBA market. He's waiting for the free agency. And I'm hearing that there might be at least one NBA team which is very interesting, uh, interested in signing Kevin. And there's a big chance that he, he will end up in the, in the NBA. And if Pangos is gone, uh, probably CSK will take some risks like we saw with, for example, is in St. Petersburg and signing Shabazz Napier. Uh, so yeah, uh, they are close to complete uh, the roster, and we we will definitely be will be intrigued to see you know what the last signing will be. Yeah, uh, because uh, as you said, with with Pangos, uh, the, the the main issue is that he's really exploring the NBA market because he would love to play in the NBA. And as you said, there is at least one NBA team that is following him closely. And based on the information that I got, that team should be the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, but of course, we will see what's going to happen when the free agency in the NBA will, will start. Uh, because of course, if he, if he won't find an offer that is really suitable for him, of course, he's going to have some really good market in, in EuroLeague. Again, there is this, uh, potential already agreement in place with, with Sescal Moscow. Uh, if, if they will be able to add him to the roster that they already have, that backcourt is going to be like really, really loaded with, uh, with talent. Oh yeah. And there's uh, another team which is really loaded with talent. It's uh, Milan Ormani. Uh, they have Sergio Rodriguez, Malcolm Delaney, Devon Hall, Troy Daniels, Jorin Grant on their backcourt, Shawan Shields, Moraschini, Luigi Datome, Mitoglu, Nicola Melli as their forwards, Tarzuski, Heinz, and Biliga on the post, also David Alviti, Gampolo Ricci, and Davide Moretti. Uh, that, that's a pretty good roster. And what are the feelings in Milano about their summer uh, moves? Uh, are they happy? How did they manage, you know, to fill uh, the the you know open roster spots, which were you know open after Kevin Punter and Zach Day left Milan? Uh, yeah, I think that the management is pretty happy with with the moves that they made that, that they made during the summer. Uh, some of the fans are not, but Milano's fans are very very particular. They're basically never happy, so. Uh, it's always uh, very hard to make them make them happy, even when the even when the team makes very big moves. Uh, I, I think it's a regular problem. I think it's yeah, in, in all yeah. Europe. It's the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's probably Basketball like that. Are just never happy, but, unless, and, unless you win the championship. Yeah, yeah, because as of course as a, as an Italian, I I'm more close to the Olympia Milano fans and. The, the feeling that I got is that basically every summer, no matter what the team does, they are always unhappy. So it's, it's a little bit weird, but, uh, I believe that the management is happy with, uh, what they made, uh, this summer. Uh, I think that the roster is a little bit deeper than last season. Uh, one of the main issue of last season was that they didn't have much 
from the bench, especially down the stretch, you know, in the final part of the season. And with, uh, with several players being already, let's say, in the final part of their careers, you know, Sergio Rodriguez, Kyle Lines, Gigi Datome, they are all veterans, you know, having to play 70, 80 games per season, you know, at the, at the end of the season, there's going to be a little bit fatigue, you know, so you want to have a roster that can be as deep as possible. Uh, especially to have some kind of turnover, especially in the Italian league. Um, I really like the addition of Devon Hall. I, I think he's a very interesting player. Uh, I believe he's already EuroLeague ready uh, as a player, uh, and he can definitely give a contribute. And uh, I think that uh, it's also very important, the addition of Jurian Grant, because uh, with, with him, you, you're gonna help a little bit more Delaney because with Jarayan Grant, Delaney will probably have a little bit less playmaking responsibilities and those responsibilities will go a little bit more to Grant. Uh, and that's important because I believe that Delaney is much more useful when he doesn't need to think too much about the, the playmaking situation and he's more free to express, you know, his game. Uh, and plus, you know, the, their number one target, of course, was to bring back Nicolo Melli. That was the number one option since the beginning of the summer. They really, really wanted him. Uh, they made a very good operation with him. They were able to sign him despite, you know, the competition because there, there was definitely competition for Melli. Uh, even, you know, from Italy, because Virtus Bologna was also very interested in signing him. But uh, Melli, you know, he has already played for Milan in the past and he really wanted to come back home, you know, after uh, the, the NBA experience and after several years, you know, with Fenerbahce too and the experience in Germany. He has been away from Italy for a very long time and now he wanted to, you know, to come back, uh, being close to being closer to, to home. Another player that I think is going to be uh, a very, very important contributor is, is Mitoglu because he's a guy that they really, really pushed to, to have, you know, to sign. Uh, even, you know, with Mitoglu, there was a lot of competition. Panathinaikos tried to do everything they could to keep him around. Uh, but in the end, you know, Milano was able to convince him he's going to have, I believe, a very big role also because he's a very versatile player. He can play many roles. He can play minutes as three. He can play minutes as four. He can even be some kind of a stretch five. Uh, he's very big. Uh, he's very skilled, you know, very smart player. And in the past few seasons, you know, his three point shot has become more consistent. And if that, if that three point shooting keeps being consistent, you're probably going to have one of the best forwards in Europe in your hands. So. That's, that's another very important addition. I think that probably the only thing that went wrong in, in some ways, it was the situation with Liday, because I believe that at the beginning, that wasn't the plan. You know, the plan was not to, uh, let him go, let him go away, but they needed to free some space in the front court. And uh, I think that especially at the beginning, their idea was, 
let's try to find some suitors for Tarjeski, uh, who is still under contract for next season. And there is also an option for the season after. But he has a, he has a pretty good salary. You know, he makes around one million in, in, in Milan. So there weren't a lot of teams that, that, the, that they were willing, you know, to give him the same kind of salary. Uh, so in the end, Milano wasn't able to uh, let him go, you know, to unload him. So they needed to create some space in some other ways. And the only option available was to let Lide go because there was this option to opt out of the contract after one season. And they, they had to, they needed to make that move. Uh, but I don't think that was the original plan, you know. But aside from that situation, uh, I think that everything went pretty well for the team. Uh, and now the roster is basically complete. I think that maybe there's, there still might, might be some possibility to see someone else go, uh, between, uh, among the Italian players. I think that one between Cinciarini and Moretti, might leave the team, at least one of these two guys. Moretti played very, very limited minutes last season. Uh, I, I think he needs to play, he needs to be in a situation, in a situation where he can play some real minutes. Uh, but the rest of the roster is basically set for the next season. Yeah, I like the part uh, where you said that uh, Milano really, really wanted Nicola Melli because I mean, you're willing to unload Zach Day. I don't see an, any better example how, how much you can want uh, somebody. And I was really surprised by this move. And as far as I know, uh, not just me, but uh, a lot of Euroleague teams were really surprised by this move. And uh, what was, you know, more surprising, him signing with Partizan so quickly. It happened almost in 24 hours. And I know that um, many Euroleague teams uh, were ready to make a pitch, you know, for, for Zach Luday. And they were pretty angry when, you know, they were informed that uh, Zach Luday has an agreement in place with uh, Partizan. Because uh, if he was willing, you know, to wait uh, longer, probably he would have expected even a better uh, deal uh, with another team. So it was a really surprising summer uh, for, for, for Milano. And uh, I would like to say, uh, I would like to point out uh, Jerian Grant's situation. Uh, he's coming from Prometheus, uh, the Greek team, and he, for me, he's a good example of how crazy this free agency was, especially for the guards, because I remember that in the end of last season, or maybe uh, just in the beginning of this free agency. Uh, Jerian Grant was offered uh, to Jargiris uh, Konas and they said no, you know, and uh, Grant, you know, he, he was not that type of player, at least uh, on this market in the beginning, who could have expected the final four uh, team attention. And now he's, he, he's here uh, signing with Milano. So it's uh, it was really uh, surprising summer for Milano. But in the end of the day, you know, I actually I actually loved Exactly, they and Kevin Punter so much that I still I'm not so sure that even with all these signings, uh, with all these names, I'm not so sure if uh, I, I prefer exactly they and Kevin Punter or Nicola Melli, Hall, Grant, Mitoglu, and all Oliver signings. What do you think? Uh, if Milano improved, 
Um, you know, I believe that especially with the Kevin Ponder situation, the the plan for Milan was, of course, trying to keep him around for another season. But um, the the negotiation, you know, they were very difficult because there were many teams interested, and the price really went up quickly. And you know, Milano was willing to keep him, but only at a certain price. And when that price was off already, there were no chances to to keep him around. Uh, I think that uh, I'm not so I'm not sure that they are better than last season. I think they are deeper. That's that's one thing that I'm sure about it. Uh, I'm not necessarily sure that they are better than last season. It's going to be a different team, of course, because. For example, in the backcourt, you're not going to have a scorer like Kevin Ponter. You're going to have uh, different type of players, you know, uh, Delaney, Hall, uh, Jerian Grant. They are different type of players. Uh, I mean, I think that Grant in, in, in the right situation, you know, can become a little bit heated and having a 20 point, 25 points game. And it's the same thing for, for Delaney. But they definitely have different characteristics uh, compared to to Punter, uh, so I, I believe it's going to be a little bit more of a really of a team that is not going to need maybe to put the ball in someone's hands and let him work, but is going to work really as a team uh, because they have much more options and they are more versatile, versatile than than last season. But as you said, I'm not necessarily sure that they are better than last season. They are just different, I believe. I consider uh, their last season as a success. I, I, I mean, that Final Four was a great success for Milano. They were so close to get uh, into the finals, actually. They were like uh, one punter shot away from making yep. the finals. It was a great season. Uh, but in the Italian Championship, they were swept in the finals by Virtus Bologna. So I'm just cur uh, curious, you know, what were the reactions? Uh, as you said, Milano fans are never happy. But how shocking, how disappointing it was for Milano community to be swept by Virtus? Yeah, they, uh, they were very disappointed, uh, especially uh, because how the finals went. You know, Milano was never in the series. You know, they... They were always behind. It was a very difficult series for them. Virtus played really, really well. You know, Djordjevic with his defensive system was able to limit a lot uh, Milano's offense. And uh, I think that also, you know, uh, during that, uh, during those finals, Milano's team, especially the key players, they were really, really tired. You know, they were really, really tired. They didn't have enough energies. And uh, while Virtus was in a great condition, you know, because after they got eliminated from the from the Euro Cup in the in the semifinal against Unix, uh, yeah, of course there was disappointment at that point too. But they were able to regroup. Uh, they were able to regroup, and from that point on, that season their their season was absolutely fantastic. They basically uh, never missed a game, and they. They did a fantastic job. For Milano, it, it was different. You know, I think that the final four, uh, they, they got drained in the final four. They were without energies after that. And in the finals, that was pretty clear. And of course, there was a lot of disappointment in the, in the environment. 
And, you know, as, as it often happens in these situations, after the, the finals, uh, a lot of rumors, you know, started to spread about Coach Messina uh, being an happy with some players, that uh, rumors about fights between players and the coach. Uh, but I believe this is pretty normal when you, when you lose. Uh, some things may be exaggerated, you know, taken out of contest because during such a long season, I think it's pretty normal to have some kind of, uh, uh, you know, discussions between the coach and the players. It's normal. But uh, until you keep a certain level of respect, then, you know, the day after everything, it's okay. You know, everything, it's normal. Uh, so I believe that some of those rumors were definitely exaggerated a little bit. Uh, for example, there, there was one. There was Luigi Datome rumor, right? Yeah, there was. Yeah, yeah there was one about Datome uh, that he had a big fight with Coach Messina and he was ready to leave the team. But that was never the situation. Yeah, they had some discussions, of course. Uh, Datome maybe was a little bit unhappy because of the playing time during the, the finals because he didn't play much. Uh, but I believe it's a normal discussion that you have with your coach when a situation like this happens. Uh, but, you know, in, in the environment around Milano, these kind of things often, you know, they have, they have been taken out of context and they have been exaggerated. Yeah. Let, let's hope that that death is going to help them, you know, the, the next season. Yeah. Do you have anything else to add about your team? Uh, not, not about Milano. I think we are, uh, we are good with them. Yeah. You're originally, you're originally a Milano fan? Uh, no, not really. Uh, because I, I'm from like Southern Italy from Sicily ah. and, uh, I never been like a Milano fan. My, my team, my favorite team in Italy growing up was, uh, Fortitudo Bologna. Okay. okay. But That's of course, you know, in my adolescence, they had uh, a lot of issues, you know, for, for a certain period of time, there wasn't even a team because of the financial issues and struggles. But yeah, originally my, my favorite team was Fortitudo Bologna in Italy. Yeah. Legendary Bologna skipper. Yeah, exactly. Fuchka on the team. It was yeah. a great, great team. That was a great team. Yeah. Okay, my friends. So, uh, thanks, uh, thanks a lot for you. Thanks a lot for our listeners. Uh, you can follow us on basketnews.com. First and fall, uh, just once again, it's a new basketball project where we're you know not just discussing things on podcasts, but we also publish uh, feature articles. Uh, we we publish all the other stories of free agency interviews and stuff like that. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff. Uh, you can get on basketnews.com and also it's easy to uh, follow us on youtube channel basket news uh, also we have a channel on spotify uh, apple podcasts i mean all the main plat platforms where you can find us so thanks a lot uh, Horacio, and see you the next week probably thank you donatas and thank you to all our listeners uh, it was a pleasure and keep following us on basketnews.com <laughs>